friends, and welcome to the What Do You Know podcast. We are in episode 22, and friends, I hope you are doing well today. Friends, I just want to take a quick bit of time and remind you and me what What Do You Know is all about. This podcast is a space for you and for me to ask the question, what do you know, to different leaders in our church, in youth ministry, in general. I want us as a group to continue to ask the question, what do you know? Because friends, I want us to remember that we do not know everything. I want us to continue to remember that we need to keep asking questions. We need to keep asking those around us, what do you know, to continue to grow our ministry. Because the last thing that I want us to do is to fall into the habit of saying, I know it all. And so friends, I just want to continue to encourage you to ask the question, what do you know? Friends, I also hope this podcast gives you as busy youth workers, youth pastors, pastors, you name it, I hope it gives you some rest. So with that being said, let's jump in to today's podcast. Sit back and enjoy. Hello, friends, and welcome to the What Do You Know podcast. Friends, we are joined by another awesome guest, someone who has poured their life into ministry and a following Jesus. So friends, I'd like you to welcome Pastor Kerry Willis. Pastor Kerry Willis, thank you for joining us on What Do You Know? It's a pleasure, my friend. All joy, brother. Consider it all joy, brother. I'm glad to be here, Caleb. Pastor Caleb, you the man. Thank you. So Pastor Kerry, can you give us a quick overview of what do you do and kind of what's your role in the church? Well, I, my call is to preach. Uh, that's that's what always has been the first and uh, foremost point of the spear for me. Um, well, that's my alarm going off to pray for lost souls every day. Well, let's pray. Uh, so anyway, yeah, let's stop for a moment. I'll do that. Lord, uh, today it's good to be on here with Brother Caleb. And, uh, and we are just asking, uh, like that old Petra song, show your power as our inheritance, give us the lost. And so, Lord, every afternoon my phone sort of rings. And uh, today I just want to make sure you know that souls matter most. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I guess in my prayer I sort of answered the question a little bit. But uh, my call, uh, Brother Caleb, uh, is to preach. And uh, I thought the Lord would use me more as a kind of a traveling evangelist. That's kind of what I was thinking. Uh, this was back in 1992 uh, when I said yes to the Lord's call on my life. Uh, but he ended up putting me in a local pastorate for 24 years. So after my Bible college training in Colorado Springs, uh, I went and pastored uh, the Harrisonburg, Virginia Church of the Nazarene. And I was there from 1994 uh, to 2018. And I thought I would just finish out there, but God had another plan. And uh, I have been asked to be the uh, DS, the district servant, I call it, of the Philadelphia district. And so my job now is to encourage and to come alongside pastors and leaders from uh, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, kind of by the Susquehanna River, uh, over to East Central Pennsylvania, all the way to Cape May, New Jersey. So we have a, a really diverse area. And of course, Philadelphia is the city that sort of sits in the middle of all that. So we are called the Philadelphia District. So um, I just try to be an encourager, you know, coach, 
serve the churches in any way I can. And uh, so I'm two and a half, almost three years into that now. Uh, but really, I'm, I'm a true Wesleyan because I hold on to John Wesley's quote, the world is my parish. So uh, it's not a geographical call for me. It's just, it's just whoever's in front of me. Uh, one of the statements of my life is no invisible people. So uh, whether it's the, the waitress or whether it's someone at the church, uh, I see no difference in how I relate to them. I'm just here to be light, man. That is encouraging, and especially in times like today, especially where everybody just seems to have this cloud over their head. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it is kind of a, a disruptive season, uh, but disruption can bring about delight, you know. Uh, we know that God is not wringing his hands, uh, wondering what's going on. Uh, he has a plan. I plan to be in it. Yeah. So when you look back at the cross, man, I mean, the, the Roman execution tool and Jesus turned it into the tree of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, he can, he can make something great even out of this disruption uh, that we're going through. I tend to believe that maybe he's pruning the tree uh, so we can have more fruit. Uh, maybe there is a great falling away even. Uh, mm -hmm. The Bible talks about that in the last days, but I still am an optimist because of amazing grace and, I have a feeling that there's just going to be this massive awakening and revival. You know, Jesus deserves that. You know, I, that's the reason I wanted to happen because Jesus deserves a massive awakening in the world. Yes, indeed. And I remember, and I can't remember who said this to me, but this did not surprise God one bit. He knew it was going to happen. It surprised us, but he yes. knew this was going to happen and nothing is going to catch him off guard. Well, he's already been into our future, man, oh, yes. and he's planned it, and he's going to lead us there. I mean, he is the great I am. That His name is I am, not I was or I will be. So right now he stands in the present, in the past, in the future, and in the present. He is the great I am. So time does not have any hold on our God. And uh, that's a pretty amazing thought. That could keep me going the rest of the day, bro. Oh, my goodness. Yes, indeed. So, my friend, coming off of that excitement, what got you into ministry? What was that kick or what was that nudge from the Holy Spirit to say, you should go into ministry? Well, I think since age five, uh, the Lord had planted a desire in my heart, uh, probably to preach. Uh, we, had a, we grew up on the coastal island of Harker's Island, North Carolina, Outer Banks. And uh, we had revivals about three times a year and uh, these are seasons where you bring in a special preacher and uh, you know you just have special emphasis on the word of God worship and uh, uh, those uh, evangelists who came uh, to our church had a great impact on me um, and uh, some of them you know not as much <laughs> some maybe even had a negative impact on me but the ones that had a positive impact it was a very positive impact. It outweighed everything else. And I've learned now that the reason for that was um, they were sanctuaries of the presence of God and they were coming into my presence. And I call the North Carolina, I call North Carolina to this day, the Holy Land. And people laugh because that's where I was born, but that's not why I call it that. Uh, I call it the Holy Land because it's the first place that I experienced the presence of God. And so I think from about age five, I had a seed in my heart 
that God began to tend and water. And I would run from that, really, because uh, I had some plans of my own, you know. Um, but uh, he finally caught up to me, or I came back in the right direction. So I'm a second career preacher. Uh, I became a professional photographer by trade. And uh, I did that up until, uh, well, 1992, I sold my studio. I had a portrait studio and all of that. And uh, did ball teams and weddings and model portfolios, you know, that whatever photography I had to do. And I moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado, to attend the Nazarene Bible College. I even opened my studio up there, and photography got me through school. Uh, but I had this call on my life, and I knew that it was not to do photography over the long haul, even though to this day I use photography as ministry. But it's just kind of a sidekick to ministry. I, I really live to preach the gospel and to live the gospel. So I think the call has been on my life all my life. I tried to get away from it. Uh, but the Lord doesn't give up on you easily. <laughs> I have learned that. So a series of events brought me back uh, to his perfect plan for my life. And I'm uh, a debtor, a real debtor uh, for his patience towards me. That's so encouraging right there. Now, my friend, building off of that, what would you say to yourself when you first started in a ministry? If you could sit down and write a letter to yourself, what would it say? Would it be yeah, that would that'd be easy. Yeah, very easy. I might do bullet points. <laughs> uh, I would say, uh, don't take it so personal, son. Uh, ministry is about Jesus. It's not about you. He's the senior partner. You're the junior partner. Uh, take John 3.30 early and embrace it. I must decrease. He must increase. That's probably the first thing I would say to myself. Uh, the other thing is uh, to just keep your trust in God. Uh, you know, when things are going bad, it doesn't mean God is, uh, is, not, is upset with you. Uh, it's just what life is. And uh, just continue to trust the spirit that is within you. Now, that'd be the first thing I think I would say. Uh, the other thing I would say is uh, make prayer your priority and don't ever give up on it. Uh, I've learned that there are four things, Caleb, uh, honestly, um, that are kind of like lessons uh, that I have learned that I would probably tell my younger self. Uh, number one is expect spiritual warfare. <laughs> you know, uh, Christians today seem surprised if they have any measure of spiritual warfare. Well, I think that when we choose Christ, uh, I used to tell people when I was pastor, when I baptized them, uh, you have now declared war on hell. You have gone public, you know, with your testimony. So I think the first thing I would say is expect spiritual warfare. I think the second thing I would say is um, people need gentleness. I mean, all people need gentleness. Maybe the worst compassion. But, uh, but people have hard lives. And, uh, you know, people are very, very shocked, a beautiful shock, when they come across someone with a gentle spirit. It takes them a while to accept it because it seems so unreal to them. But when they find out that you really are showing them compassion, you really do care about who they are, um, that gentleness is very disarming uh, to people. So I would say, uh, expect spiritual warfare. Uh, people need gentleness. Uh, the third thing I would say is gain a vision of the world's anguish. 
there's a lot of anguish in the world. Uh, this world is, is not an easy place. And so I, I would say, ask God to give you a vision of the anguish, uh, the desperation that people are feeling, experiencing in their lives. You know, uh, Proverbs 29 and verse 18 uh, from the, the King James Version, it reads like this, where there is no vision, the people perish. So what I said to the Lord is, Lord, give me a continual a vision and revision me about the perishing that people are going through. Uh, the anxiety, the just the overall um, uh, just pain that people are experiencing. So that would be the third thing. And the fourth thing would be, remember, prayer is your power. <laughs> mm. uh, so those four things I would say, expect spiritual warfare. Uh, people need gentleness. Gain a glimpse, gain a vision uh, of the world's anguish. And then remember that prayer is your power. Now, Pastor Kerry, you mentioned something about keeping prayer a priority in your life. How do you do that? Well, for me, prayer is is breathing. <laughs> um, the longer I walk with the Lord, I, I can't really distinguish between my thoughts and his thoughts. I mean, my prayer today, I prayed this prayer. My son taught it to me, actually. And uh, I pray, Lord, take over my thoughts so I won't have to worry about what I'm thinking about. Uh, I pray for the mind of Christ. And so uh, a lot of times my praying is thinking. Some people wouldn't qualify as praying, but that's just their problem. It's not mine because I know God is great with it. Now, we shouldn't give up on our quiet time with the Lord, on bended knee. Uh, that, that's a great discipline. But if that's the only praying we do, I'm afraid that we've missed the boat. Uh, I believe that for the Christian soul to breathe is to pray. And, and some people, you know, feel discouraged about their prayer life because they don't feel like they're praying enough. Well, I will say to people sometimes that say that, well, maybe you ought to keep track. You might be praying more than you think you are. <laughs> okay. Because we don't count things as prayer. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I generally say is I love you, Jesus. That's a prayer. You see, that's a prayer. I'm talking to the Lord. So prayer is conversation with the Lord. Now, there are other things we have to do during the day that take our time, that take our attention. But the default position of my mind is prayer. Uh, whenever I'm not focused on something I, I should do and need to do, I have, I have a joy description that I have to carry out. But uh, whenever I'm loosed from whatever I'm working on at the moment, my mind immediately goes to praying. So I think it's just fellowship with the Lord. It's practicing his presence. Uh, there's a book, an old book titled, The Practice of the Presence of the Lord, uh, The Practice of the Presence of God, something along that line, written by Brother Lawrence. Uh, that's his name. That's the name on the book, Brother Lawrence, The Practice of the Presence of the Lord. And uh, I read that book in the mid-1990s, and it changed everything for me. At least it began to change everything for me. Now, he was in a monastery. He was a monk. And his duty at the monastery was washing dishes and working in the kitchen. And uh, Brother Lawrence said that he experienced as much of the presence of God at the sink as he did in the chapel receiving Holy Communion. Uh, he said there was no difference. So uh, for prayer, that to me is practicing the presence of God. Wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, you're carrying on this internal and sometimes spoken 
conversation with your creator, God. You're coming in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture even says that the Holy Spirit in whom he dwells, in whom he abides, resides, presides, uh, the Holy Spirit is praying within us. So it's not just us praying, it's the Holy Spirit praying within us, praying on our behalf. So a prayer, prayer is really everything. That's so refreshing to hear the aspect. It reminds me of something John Wesley said, the world is our parish. I think you said it a little bit ago. Yep, I quoted it. Yes, you did. And uh, that's the whole idea. I pray with whoever. I mean, it, you know, when Kim and I, we out a lot because I travel in my job and uh, we actually live in an RV eight months out of the year on purpose because I want to be at the local churches. I don't just want to talk to them on the phone. I want to be where they are. And I preach revivals if they ask me or I hang out in their parking lot for a few days, whatever. But uh, every conversation that I get into, I wonder, will this end with me praying with this person? Now, it doesn't always. Now, I'm always praying for them, <laughs> whether they know it or not. But often, um, if we get to know a waitress, uh, and I'm using that because it's the easiest one to pull. They're in New Jersey, uh, you don't pump your own gas. People pump it for you. So sometimes it's the guy pumping the gas or the lady pumping the gas. But I begin this conversation with them about their life. You know, how are you today? And, and, and this and that. Uh, generally, I have a large tip in my pocket also that's going to accompany uh, all of this because uh, people are looking for some practical proof that you're not just crazy, you know. And uh, so, so I'll begin the prayer, praying for them. But many times before I leave their presence, I'll say to them, uh, is there anything that I could pray about for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a praying man. It's kind of my life. I know it may sound a little, you know, exaggerated, but it's really what I do. And, you know, a lot of people will just cry in that moment. Uh, they can't believe somebody's asking them for a prayer request. Uh, but sometimes they'll just say, yes, this is what I'm going through today. Now I'm backing into the third point of what I would tell myself. You need a vision uh, of the world's anguish. And you get that one person at a time, mostly. And uh, so when we enter someone's anguish, uh, we, we want, we, we, it don't matter where they are. Uh, the, they don't have to be a member of our church. Uh, they don't have to be a member even of our community. Uh, we could be traveling through another state at a rest area, and uh, God could say, I stopped you here because I want you to have a conversation with this person. Now, I don't force it. You know, I'm not radical in that way. I am a radical for Jesus. But I have found out that in most of these conversations that I get in on, he's already planned the other side of it. And he was just trying to get me there so he would have a mouthpiece to say some things on, their, on his behalf. So my friend, with all that just in the back of our heads, what keeps you motivated in ministry? Yeah, well, the call, the call of God. If you don't have a call of God, it's, it's ludicrous to, to go in ministry. Now, what I mean by the call, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you on that too. Uh, everybody's call looks different. The Lord didn't pull a map down, tell me to stick my finger on it, and that's where I would go serve. Uh, I've had some missionaries tell that story, and I said, good for you. Wasn't that clear for me? Uh, my call began because I had a sense that um, the fields were white unto harvest and there were not enough workers. So um, my call did not really find, uh, I would say, concreteness until my first year of pastoring. 
<laughs> uh, and I was reading in Oswald Chambers' classic book, My Utmost for His Highest. I believe the devotional was January 12th, I believe. And uh, he was talking about uh, the story of Isaiah, uh, the holy, holy, holy passage. Uh, in verse 8, it, it, these words come in, Here am I, Lord, send me. So I can tell you that my call began with me volunteering to God and saying, here am I, send me. And he said, okay, you know, but I didn't hear it audibly until I was about a year into the pastorate. And one day I was reading that book and the Lord situated my call and made it more concrete. But I'm an abstract person. So I had no problem with abstract obedience. I, I hadn't really heard God's voice, so to speak, but I had a sense that since I was five years old, he had a desire that I would be uh, in full-time ministry, uh, a sanctuary of his presence where he could share the gospel. And uh, so I went on that, you know, I went on that and then he confirmed it. But what I'm saying is, is, is that idea that, that God has allowed me I won't even use the word chosen. I guess chosen's okay, but uh, he's allowed me to volunteer, you know, and, uh, you know, God doesn't need us, Caleb. It's a privilege. Uh, a lot of people think God needs us. Uh, that's just one of the funniest things I've ever tried to imagine, that God needs me. Uh, but there's something better. He doesn't really need us, but he desires us. He wants us. And uh, because he wants us, he'll, he'll, He'll need us. I mean, he'll, he'll find something that we can do, you know, or he can do through us. And uh, so I live off of this idea that God wants me, that, that he desires me, and that keeps me going. I see some people taking their hand off the plow. It bothers me, but I don't judge them. I don't know their life. My prayer is that I will not take my hand off the plow until the nail-scarred hand puts his hand on my hand on the plow and takes it off. Uh, because he has been so faithful to me, uh, I don't want to quit on him. Uh, but even I rely on his power for that even to be a reality. <laughs> so that keeps me going, uh, because apart from his presence, and I don't mean that you can always feel his presence. Uh, there's two ways that you can know the Lord's presence. Number one, you, you recognize it by faith. Because he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, surely I am with you to the end of the age. He said, I will not leave you as orphaned. So I believe that by faith, I, I recognize that his presence is here. But there are some times when you actually realize his presence. And that's when the feeling comes in. I love that part. But we have to often do the recognizing of his presence, the faith part. Sometimes for a long haul before he allows us to realize through feeling that he's been with us all along. So uh, I, that, that helps me a lot. Yes, indeed, my friend. Now, how do you avoid burnout? Because the life of a district servant is very strenuous. Life of a pastor is very strenuous. So how do you well, burn out? Yeah, it's a good question. You have to know yourself, okay? You have to know your limitations and you have to live by them. Now, that doesn't mean you limit God, but you have to know. Like, I heard a leader say years ago, choose a speed that will get you to the end. <laughs> 
So a lot of it has to do with throttling, you know, the throttle. Um, and uh, so I'm an introvert by nature. Most people don't know that because whenever they see me, I'm running my mouth. That's because the Lord has called me to do that, okay? But I'm an introvert. So that means that I'm going to have to spend at least as much time alone with God that I'm going to spend with people. I, if I don't, I'm going to be running on adrenaline, not on spirit. Um, I don't want to run on human adrenaline. I want to run on the Holy Spirit. So the Lord created me the way I am. So by introvert, here's what I mean. I thought I was an extrovert because that's what everybody told me. But I found out uh, from people who know these kinds of things later in life that I'm an introvert. It set me free. An introvert is someone who charges when they're alone and they give out energy when they're with people. An extrovert is someone who charges when they're with people and they drain when they're alone. So I had to learn that, you know, I, because I do have to spend quite a bit of time with people, I have to spend at least equal time, if not more, alone in the presence of God, recharging to make sure that I have enough uh, to complete uh, what my joy description calls for. So that's one way. Uh, the other way is when I was pastoring, I had a schedule what happened every day of the week. Now that could be changed because ministry can change. Uh, but I had certain days that I was unplugged and I was spending time with the Lord and my staff knew it and my church knew it. And so I, it was not really regimented, but I stuck to it pretty strongly because it helped me from burning out. Uh, and I can share that if you're interested. But the other thing is I took sabbaticals regularly. Uh, the Church of the Nazarene in the manual calls for sabbatical. I guess it points mainly to senior pastors. But when, when, when I was a, a lead pastor, senior pastor, I called myself the vision pastor. I didn't have associates. I had partners. I just don't like the idea of associate. Uh, I had partners alongside me, not associates underneath me. So when I went to ask for sabbatical for myself, I said to the board, I won't take a sabbatical unless you also give one to my other partners in ministry. Uh, so they did. And uh, so that really saved my ministry. In 24 years, I had four sabbaticals. And uh, I was getting ready to have one more, which was the hardest thing for me to say yes to Philadelphia. I had another sabbatical coming up in September, and I had to go in April. Oh, man. But, but the Lord's helped me with that. So you, you have to take time to retreat. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what we don't understand about if you expect to advance, you must take time to retreat. So that helps me a lot. The other thing is I have good accountability. I have a part partners that, that I'm accountable with. I have a mentor. I have one main mentor, but I have several others who mentor me in special ways. Like you might have a general doctor, but then you have specialist doctors in case you're, you're struggling with a certain thing. My, my mentor is 81 years old, and he's still preaching. He's interim pastor at a church in Tennessee. And uh, he's been my mentor for the better part now of, well, I guess it's nearing 30 years. And uh, what I don't owe to that man. But he would tell you if he were sitting here now that when a protege and a mentor work together, Often the mentor gets as much from the protege as the protege gets from the mentor, but it truly is iron sharpening iron. So one person sharpens another. So those are some of the ideas uh, that, that, that help me, you know, keep from burning out. Um, you just had to pay attention to who you are, how God has made you 
And if you don't, you're going to crash. You're just going to crash. Uh, my dad was a shrimp boat captain, just like Bubba Gump, you know. And uh, my dad, uh, he wouldn't let anybody work the throttle but him. I was the first mate, and I was in high school, and I wanted to get home when the fishing was done. You know, I had girls to see and places to go. And that shrimp boat was not really fast, but I knew it was faster than dad would run it. So when he was not in the wheelhouse, if he walked on the deck, I would pump the, I would just bump the throttle a little, you know. And he never one time did I ever bump his throttle that he didn't know it because he knew his engine. And he would walk in the wheelhouse, look at me and said, don't bump my throttle, boy. He said, don't bump my throttle. He said, I know my engine. I'm not going to let you blow it up. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I take that analogy in my own life. I don't let people bump my throttle very often. Uh, I have to be in control of, of taking care of myself. So yeah, that's, that's that. I could talk a long time on that. Sorry. No, no, no. Don't say sorry. I think this is an important subject for us to talk about as pastors because I yeah. just, just looking at my own age group and my own group of peers that I graduated college with, a lot of them are just having to take a step back. And I've been scratching my head over why is that? And I definitely think yeah. it's a burnout. Well, if you need to take a step back, you need to take it. Uh, and we're all human and yeah. we're susceptible, you know, to this. Um, but uh, so far, you know, uh, I've seen some of my brothers and sisters falling out of ministry and it's broken my heart. And I have learned from some of them, actually. I've learned from some of their bad examples, you know, it's helped me to, to tweak my own idea. Uh, but you have to know that, uh, that you are weak <laughs> and he is strong. Yes. If you ever forget that, then I, I saw a quote yesterday, uh, Brother Caleb. Uh, it, it went something like this. Let's see if I can pull it back into my brain here. It said, uh, beware working for the Lord when you don't have much of the Lord yourself. Hmm. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good warning uh, because sometimes we think that the main thing we do is work for the Lord. But really, the main thing he's after is that we would know him, uh, you know, so uh, we, we've got to know him. And uh, actually, if we don't know him, I don't think he's going to trust us to work for him. I mean, do you, do you let people do important things in your life that you don't trust? No. Nope. And the only way you build trust is by relationship, right? Getting to know one another. When I used to hire people that were support staff, not even pastors, I would pay them uh, a half hour or whatever to take time each day to go to the prayer room of the church and to make sure they were in tone with the Lord. I, they stayed on the clock. I would tell them, look, I want you to take a half an hour sometime during your day or at least 15 minutes. And I want you to be still and know that God is God. And it's so important to me that I'll pay you to do it. Hmm. <laughs> you know, so yeah. So, my friend, what books are you currently reading right now? What way? Well, yeah, that's easy. Uh, I <laughs> I like to read old books. Uh, I'm an old book reader. I'm an old soul. I don't have anything against new books. They just haven't been proven yet. Uh, I've got some new books that I've written myself, you know. Um, and if anybody wants one of those, I can point you to them. But but uh, the books that I read, uh, the one I'm reading right now is. Uh, a book that Neil Wiseman wrote. Uh, he is a, he's with the Lord now, 
Uh, he was my professor in Bible college and became my friend and was a mentor to me. Uh, but, but he wrote a book, uh, and I don't have it in front of me, I don't think, but uh, it, it has to do with uh, uh, holiness. It, the book is not called Holiness. It was uh, something about the holy. I don't have it with me. But if you look up Neil B. Wiseman, you'll find it in a jiffy. Uh, I've been reading little pieces of that. Uh, I tend to be someone that soaks in reading. I don't read. I'm not a speed reader. I mean, I can read great, but I don't speed read anything, especially the Bible. So, so right now I'm kind of soaking in this book uh, that he wrote about making sure we don't miss the holy, you know, uh, that kind of a thing. So that's, that's the, the newest one that I picked up. Uh, also, I read Oswald Chambers uh, pretty much every day. And what some people don't realize is they think people who think that Oswald Chambers only has one book, they have just proven they're not a student of Oswald Chambers. Uh, and I don't tell people that, I don't try to out them. But uh, some people believe, I mean, some you know, mature Christians believe when you say I'm reading Oswald Chambers, they immediately think that's my utmost for his highest. Well, I don't even remember the last time I read my utmost for his highest, I do. I've got it in my arsenal. But Oswald Chambers, uh, his wife was a stenographer. He died at age 44. And uh, she was a stenographer, took notes better than anybody in England. And every time he preached or taught, she took shorthand on everything he said. And when he died, she published all of those works that she had written down. There is a book you can order, and I've got it, and I'm in it now. It's titled The Complete Works of Oswald Chambers. It's about this thick and about this wide. It looks like an encyclopedia. Uh, and it has most of his works in it. Uh, but the book I'm reading now is not even in that one. This is another one I found. It's called Devotions for the Deeper Life. Uh, Devotions for the Deeper Life. Um, Oswald Chambers is, is from Scotland and England over in those areas. But he used to come in the early 1900s to the United States. Uh, and he, he preached uh, camp meetings uh, up in Cincinnati, Ohio, at a college that is still there. It's called God's Bible School. And uh, he was like the traveling speaker for their summer meetings or whatever. When he was at God's Bible School, they have a pamphlet they put out called God's Revivalist. And when he was in network with them, they had him write just a, two or three paragraphs, you know, uh, for every one of those God's Revivalists during his time. And the editor of God's Revivalist, uh, called Mr. Black, uh, Reverend Black, he went and pulled all those short paragraph articles of Oswald Chambers and condensed them in a book of the daily devotional called uh, Devos for the uh, uh, Daily Devos for the Deeper Life or Devotions for the Deeper Life. That's what it is. And uh, so here, the person who gave me that book told me this. Somebody knew I was a Chambers fan, and they actually found it for me. It was a former pastor who was one of my partners. And when he brought it in and laid it on my desk, he said, now, Pastor Kerry, I know you love my utmost for his highest. I want you to know that that's like a buffet. Now, this book right here is like just a big prime rib or a big ribeye steak laid on a plate, and that's proven to be true. He mostly talks about holiness in the book. But he comes at it from angles that are just unbelievable. I can't believe he wrote all this stuff before he was, he died at 44. Mm. And uh, it's just amazing. I think he was like Enoch, you know, he walked with God and he was no more. Uh, but he just had a brilliant mind and a great heart for ministry. So after I meet Jesus, 
you know, in heaven. I think even before I meet the disciples, I want to meet Oswald Chambers <laughs> because he has been the single greatest influence on my life other than my mom and dad and my mentor. Uh, he, he, and he continues to be, and I talk with him every day because there's not many days I don't read something Oswald Chambers wrote. So I would have to tell you that I am uh, looking at that right now. Uh, so those are the, the two books. I'll try to figure out what the name of that Neil Wiseman book is. Uh, but it, it, I just picked it up off the shelf because I felt like the Lord wouldn't let me get away from it. Hmm. I just kept looking at it. <laughs> so while you're figuring that out, my friend, yep. what is giving you life and what is exciting you right now? Well, I don't think, uh, Brother Caleb, that there's been a greater time in the history of humanity uh, to be a, a good news uh, messenger than today. Uh, I just I just don't feel it. Uh, I, I think I'm very blessed to be uh, living during these disruptive days. And uh, that's what I'm excited about, that the Lord has entrusted me uh, with the, the hope of the world when the world is seemingly hopeless, you know. And uh, I, I found that the Bible has more recently, even in 2020, has been more real to my everyday life than any other year I've ever read it. Uh, it seems like when I read it today, I wanted to say this, uh, uh, another book that I've been reading recently is Psalms. <laughs> okay. Uh, but today I read Psalm 96. Uh, I got to give you that. And, and one of my newest books is the Passion Translation of the Holy Bible. Have you heard of it? I have. Yeah, it'll knock you off your feet, man. Uh, but I've been reading Psalm 96 today. Uh, uh, I mean, it just, it, it, I, just, I had to print it, man. Look, I got it printed, a hard copy. Uh, I just wanted to have it close, but uh, Psalm 96. And uh, so I wanted to make sure you knew that, that, that the book of the Bible is one of the latest books I've been reading. Uh, yeah. Some people don't tend to list that one, uh, but uh, I am reading the Bible. I did find the name of that book. It's, I was close. It's Hunger for the Holy. Hunger for the Holy, Neil B. Wiseman. You can buy it for $5.99 on Amazon right now, and I promise you it'll be a great book because I watched Dr. Wiseman live what he wrote. You know, that's what I like about the, I like about old books, people who are already with the Lord. <laughs> they finish strong, and their testimony has been recorded, and uh, that's why I like to read old books. But I do read new books occasionally. Uh, I, I, you know, the last one I read was the book I wrote, which is I wrote it with a couple of friends. Uh, it's titled Showing Up, mm -hmm. and it's on the power of presence when it comes to evangelizing folk. Uh, so uh, I have read my own book just to make sure I knew what I said. And so far, I agree with myself. I'm glad you do. <laughs> I actually just finished that book, too. <laughs> You're a good man. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, my friend, as we're kind of thinking about how Scripture is showing up and how we are good news bringers, what advice would you give to pastors today? Well, whenever you can, give people Jesus. Um, a lot of people I've met are mad at religion, mad at church. I haven't met a person yet that's mad at Jesus. Now, you might find anything in this day we're living in now. I, I did say a very troubling sign. I saw a very troubling sign a few months back on social media. It was some kind of march going on. I don't know where, and I'm glad I don't know where. Uh, but the sign the person was, was carrying said this, if Jesus returns, let's crucify him again. Mm. 
uh, just broke my heart. I thought, what kind of world do we live in? Uh, but I prayed for that person carrying the sign. Uh, obviously, they are a person without hope. They may not know it. But uh, I tried to try to talk to people about Christ, try to talk to them about Jesus and my love for Jesus, you know, and why I love Jesus. I think people are hesitant to share their own testimony. And I think that's a, a, that's a big, big mistake. Uh, we have to tell what the Lord has done for us, not to expect that that will exactly happen in the same way for someone else. But uh, I'm afraid that we have, have quit telling folk uh, the reason for our hope, you know, and, uh, and, and people I think are anxious to hear. Um, and I would say that if you're, if you're a preacher these days, if you're a youth pastor or, you know, you're a lead pastor or children's pastor or whatever, uh, don't give up on stories, you know. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes the pastor can be the most educated person in the church, just depending on where the pastor is. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm for education. I think you should get all the Lord will let you have. Uh, but the idea is we really don't want to speak only to people's heads. We want to speak to their hearts. You know, we speak to both. But uh, I think a story is the best way. Uh, to get out of person's heart. And uh, some people say to me, well, don't you want to be a great biblical preacher? Uh, don't you want to be, they will name off Charles Stanley, Chuck Swindoll. They name off all these exegetical, you know, preachers, which I'm not against. But I answer, well, no, I don't want to be like either one of them. I want to be like Jesus. He told a lot of stories, man. <laughs> now, I always bring the scripture. I love the scripture. I'm, I'm enthralled by it. But I don't have any desire to preach over anyone's head. I have no desire. I didn't become a preacher to impress people. I became a preacher to invite people uh, to Jesus Christ. And so I would say, uh, you know, don't be trusting all those degrees and all of the things you heard in theology class. I mean, you know, I, it'll help you. It's for you. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But what I am saying is, here's the number one reason our church grew, Caleb. Uh, our church, the church I pastored, and this is not arrogance. I just am sharing it to say, I know something about what I'm saying here. When I went there, there were 120 people. They were in division. It was not an easy place. I spent 24 years, and there were 1,200 people there in unity. Uh, and, and what I can tell you is this. People would tell me, I, I'm not making up the reason, people would tell me why they came to our church and they stayed. They said, whatever you've got going on here is real, Pastor Kerry. It's real. There's no pretense. <laughs> it's just real. And uh, so when I preach, that's what my goal is, is to be as real as I can be to these people. And, of course, the Holy Spirit is the only one who can pull that off. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I would say, uh, you know, be as real as you can be. Don't forget that stories are helpful. <laughs> and uh, I don't mean you got to tell some, you know, Civil War story. I mean, I've told some Civil War stories. But but I'm talking about stories uh, you know, of your life or in your life or stories about people in the local church that have given you permission. Share my story. Uh, I think people are very moved by actual examples of what they need to see happen in their own lives. Mm. I would give you that. That would be one thing. The other thing is make sure that you don't just prepare for the sermon. Prepare yourself. 
Uh, I think that's maybe more important. I, I honestly have got to the place where I don't prepare sermons anymore. Now, let me qualify that for somebody who you know, knocks me off the list. Uh, I still know how to do preparation, and I do it. I don't rely on it. I rely on saturation. In other words, after and even while and even before I've written the message, I, I saturate in the presence of God. I talk to the message out loud. I say, now, what does that mean to somebody on Monday morning? You know, what is this going to mean? I talk to the message and the Holy Spirit helps me to prepare myself, not just prepare the words I will say, but prepare myself in the presence of God. So I say that saturation trumps preparation. <laughs> but you can have both. But I'm just saying often we prepare and we think that we have prepared ourselves, but we've really only prepared a talk. That's in, that's a new perspective and that's encouraging to hear. So my friend, how is God moving in your ministry in these days? Are there any bright spots? Oh yeah, there are bright spots. Um, uh, uh, the way the things that he's mainly doing are things I don't even know how to explain, but I'll try. Um, God seems to be up ahead of me. You know, if I have something on my mind that I don't know how that's ever going to work out, uh, it seems like that he so far has been right ahead of me, opening that door as I approach. So I call it favor, Caleb. Uh, God has just, the, the biggest thing he's given me right now is favor. Um, and I, I think he'll continue to give that. It, it might not always work the same way. But I ask for his favor. You know, I, I, I don't assume it. I ask for it. But, uh, you know, as a, a district servant, you have some issues that you have to deal with that are not always easy or pleasant or whatever. And I've had some of those. But can I tell you, they were nothing like I thought they could have been. God went ahead of me. He opened doors I didn't know he was going to open. He gave me favor I wasn't expecting to get. And so those things that he's been doing for me personally, for his glory, you know, and it's his kingdom, uh, it's his church. But uh, those have been the biggest things for me uh, because I'm totally incapable of, of this responsibility I've been given. Totally incapable. I tried to talk myself and, the, and I tried to talk the District Advisory Board out of bringing me to Philadelphia. I told them all the reasons why they shouldn't, and they all backfired on me. They ended up, you know, I was so real with them, I think, that that, that was what attracted them. Uh, to having me come work alongside them, you know. But uh, uh, the other thing that the Lord has been doing, he's been giving me one-on-one. -on -one. I said the world is my parish. I'm a big social media guy. I, I take a lot of flack for it, but I, I don't care because I'm not trying to please people. Uh, what I mean by social media, I see it as a pulpit, you know, uh, not a bully pulpit. You know, some people see it as a bully pulpit. I see it as a place for me to put light in darkness. And you can go read all the stuff I put up. I only got on Facebook this year because I knew I wasn't going to be able to be around so many people. I had Instagram and I had a blog and Twitter, but I had stayed out of the Facebook world because I didn't want the drama, you know. But uh, this year I embraced the drama, man. And uh, you will not believe how many, <laughs> and you might get this too, Pastor Caleb, how many people contact me directly from things I have put up on social media hmm. and I put a lot of light and darkness and uh, 
Uh, I'm currently working with two alcoholics who contacted me through things I have put up uh, on social media. Um, and uh, so, I mean, I can name a lot of other things. Those were the first two came to mind. So when I say the world is my parish, whenever I put something up, I want it to be light and darkness. It doesn't mean I don't know how to say the hard things. But I don't use social media to argue politics and, to, you know, that's okay. I don't, I don't judge people that do that. They don't bother me. They don't get in the way of what I'm posting. Uh, that's why it's called, uh, you know, my Facebook. Uh, I get to put the things I want on. But uh, I've had people that probably disagree with me totally on a lot of things, but they start dialogue with me. Mm -hmm. And I take that as a great compliment. I used to say about our church, I want us to be a safe place to hear the dangerous message of Jesus. Uh, that came out of uh, the book, The Celtic Way of Evangelism. It's a great book. Uh, and uh, I believe the author was George Hunter. Yes, The Celtic Way of Evangelism, George Hunter. And George Hunter said that the church should be a safe place to hear the dangerous message of the gospel. And so that's what I want to be on social media. I want to be a safe place for people to have dialogue about their souls, uh, to talk about the gospel. And uh, so I try to, try to give that philosophy to all of my social media. Um, and so uh, I think that today we're, we're probably not being a good steward if we are not involved with social media. Uh, I have a pastor last evening, a younger pastor than me, who sent me a message. Uh, he wasn't trying to scare me about social media, uh, but he was basically this, this new idea where now Facebook is reading everything you're putting up. They know it's everything about you. And they're going to take control of your life. You know, That's what people are saying. Well, I'm not worried about that. That, that doesn't bother me at all, because if they want to read anything I put up, they may get saved. You know, They may be like somebody you know, that was trying to, trying to hurt me, but they may get some help, man. So I'm not worried about any of that. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what the Apostle Paul said. I told somebody last week, talking very transparent, uh, they were dealing with some ideas about death. They, they hadn't really grappled much with the idea of dying. Um, and I've been sort of a mentor in their life. And so just to set them free, I said, do you know that I fear living more than dying? <laughs> you just seen their face kind of like yours. Hmm. And uh, what I meant was that uh, living is not easy. It, it, living is hard. But, but for the Christian to die is to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What's the fear about that? The only, ones that the only one that should fear death is somebody that doesn't know the Lord. Now, I don't have a death wish. I want to live as long as he'll let me. Uh, I want to I want to be a part of the kingdom work as long as he'll let me. I want to love my wife and my kids as long as he'll let me. But uh, Paul said for me to live as Christ. In other words, if I live, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to live Jesus. If I die, I'm going to be with him. So either way we win, right? Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. So yeah. my friend, how can we be praying for you and your ministry today? And well, uh, yeah. Well, the way you can pray for me, I'll just be very transparent with you. All my life, I have struggled with depression, okay? And that shocks people. And the second shock they get is that I admit it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I think it really is. I think it's a homesickness for heaven that I have. 
you know, where everything will be right finally. But my family has struggled with, you know, uh, psychological depression you know it's part of our makeup is it does it's not who we are it's just part of who we are uh, some people have you know uh, other ailments they have heart trouble or uh, they have speech issues or you know some people have uh, diabetes which i have some of that now too uh, but uh, the idea is my family has struggled some with uh, with what you would call mental health i mean people don't like to say it but it's just reality uh, you know, the brain is also part of your body. It's an organ. And, uh, and so I just ask people to pray that, uh, that I will continue to be an encourager, even if I'm in the midst of discouragement. And as a matter of fact, what I have found out is because I have the gift of encouragement, if I have any gift, that's it. Then I think the enemy wants to discourage me wouldn't he? I mean, if your gift is fire, man, I'm coming after you with water if you're my enemy. And so my gift is encouragement. So for me not to have to battle with discouragement would just be weird because I wake up every day to encourage people in the Lord. Mm. So uh, my prayer would be that I will finish the race. You know, some people say finish strong. I said, I just want to finish, man. I don't, <laughs> the strength can take over once I fall into the arms of Jesus. But the idea is that I won't bring a reproach on the Lord. I want, you know, I want to just bring uh, uh, something beautiful to his name. And so uh, just pray like you would pray for anybody else. Pray that I will uh, keep the faith, uh, that I will continue to keep my eyes on the prize, Jesus Christ, uh, that I won't be dissuaded or distracted uh, from the main thing. And, uh, you know, just pray that I'll have traveling mercies. I travel a lot. Uh, pray that I'll have favor uh, with the, the souls that I encounter. Um, and just pray that uh, I will hear one day those words that are reserved for steakhouses. Well done. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's what I want to hear one day, brother. But I, I don't know any real needs that I have. I, I don't have really any wants. I have a hunger for more of the Lord. Mm. And so pray that I won't lose my hunger. I want to stay hungry. Yes. <laughs> Well, you mind if we pray right now? Go for it, as you say, my friend. Lord, thank you today for the opportunity to meet over Zoom and the opportunity to record this podcast. Lord, I just want to say Pastor Kerry has been a blessing to my life, and I hope he is a blessing to all those who listen to this podcast. Uh, Lord, I just want to pray for him and his ministry as he is serving the Philadelphia district. Lord, I want to pray you'd be with him. Encourage him. Uh, Lord, help him. Stay faithful. Help him Jesus. on the race. Lord, be with him as he's traveling. Lord, help him to connect with the people that you have yes. in his path. Yes. Lord, help him show your love, your goodness, and your grace to them as they come in contact with him. Uh, Lord, I just pray you'd be with him as he serves all the many churches on the Philadelphia district. Uh, Lord, I pray you would be with him as he is trying to encourage others, Lord, be with him. Give him the energy. Give him the sustainability. Lord, help him live even more into the calling that you have given him. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And we praise your name. Amen. And I pray the Lord will bless this podcast and that he'll get glory from it. And I believe in you, Pastor Caleb. I enjoyed my time with you up there in upstate New York. Uh, and uh, 
I know that God is, uh, God is working in your life. So, uh, you keep the faith brother. And yes, sir. Uh, I just humbled to be on your list, man, to be able to be a part of this. Give my love to your parents and, uh, tell them that I appreciate them. Uh, and they raised a fine son. Thank you again, my friend, for joining us. This has been a blessing. Well, friends, thank you for joining us on another episode of What Do You Know? Friends, as always, I just want to encourage you to share this podcast with someone you know that is in ministry. Friends, I want us all to continue to ask the question, what do you know? Because I don't want us to get into the habit of thinking that we know everything. I want us to continue to be humble. I want us to continue to learn. I want us to continue to be ready for what God is calling us to. Friends, today, I also want to remind you that this has been approved for lifelong learning, at least in the Upstate District Church of the Nazarene. Feel free to ask your district. Friends, I also want to encourage you to share this podcast with someone who may get something out of it. Friends, I want to continue to grow our audience. I want to continue to grow our thinking group. That way we can continue to ask the question of others. And that is, what do you know? Friends, join us next week for another ministry leader and someone else who is pursuing the call of God in their life. Friends, be blessed. I will talk to you next week.